Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. Having just survived an attack, Evan Smoke isn't interested in taking on a new mission, but one finds him anyway. Aragon Uria is a kingpin of a major drug-dealing operation. He's also the patron of the local area, supplying legitimate employment and futures to people without hope. However, he is helpless when a cartel kidnaps his 18-year-old daughter. With no other options, he turns to Evan, the Nowhere Man. Dark Horse is the next installment of Greg Hurwitz's New York Times best-selling Orphan X series. The audiobook is read by Scott Brick and includes an exclusive bonus conversation between the author and Jack Carr. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 121, and we are recording on Sunday, February 20th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Nezra Javid, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Nezra. How are you on this Sunday? I am good. I have, I in a very strange twist of events, I have tomorrow off, but my husband doesn't have tomorrow off, and my daughter has it off from the daycare. So it's not really a vacation. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I've got the Sunday blues or I don't have the Sunday blues because it's not really a weekend. Like it's not really a vacation if your kid is at home too. I love my kid. I would like to preface this by saying that. <laughs> but like usually my vacation or my weekday, uh, my weekend is a Monday after a weekend because she goes to daycare and then I get to like, <sighs> Okay, like I get to have my breakfast in peace, use the restroom in peace. So, I don't know. I'm stuck in a weird kind of a limbo. What about you? <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say right now, the the biggest thing on my mind is that I burned my arm while I was making dinner oh, tonight. No. I was pulling a, a baking tray out of the oven at 500 degrees and I and I burned the, the crook of my arm on the tray. So, I'm, so I'm sitting here just like... My arm hurts. Oh, it's not a it's not a bad burn. It's small. It's okay, like, okay. you know, I got it under some cool water right away. But yeah, I was like, ow. <laughs> so that's how my Sunday's going. I'm sorry. That that is that is I think that is nature telling you just like let's just order takeout. That is what I've learned <laughs> this weekend. I'm like Maybe I should just not cook. <laughs> it was the last step of cooking too. Oh, I used. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> okay. The food was good. We made we made ribs go. in the instant pot. So, oh my god, how was that? That sounds amazing. It was really good. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was really good. We were gonna try doing a slightly different cooking time. It was a little on the dry side, but the taste was really good. It was fast. I was able to coordinate it with some roasted vegetables that came out of the oven. And then right as I was putting the ribs into the oven with the sauce on them, just to kind of get a little bit of a Mm -hmm. glaze going, I pull them out. And yeah, I (laughs) bumped my arm on the corner of the pan and some very colorful language was heard in the Horner house. (laughs) 
household. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. But this is why you just like, you know, that's why cooking, yeah, cooking aspirations are like, you know. They're difficult. Miss, yeah. <laughs> but yay. Yeah, a note I should I should have rolled my sleeves down before I pulled the I, <laughs> I pulled the pan out of the oven. All right. So, well, let's we can stop talking about my burned arm and let's talk about books. Yes. What are you reading? So, I actually started at the the most intriguing book and I feel I had a comp for this book which is not a mystery book but you'll understand what I'm saying so it is The Village of Eight Graves and this is by Seishi Yukomizo and the, uh, it is a work of translation and if you have heard of the I believe it's the Honjin Murders it's in that series it's I think it's one of Japan's like most one of the more prolific authors and he has 34 or 35 books of this series and they're slowly being translated and coming to the US audience at this book for all of you who have ever watched Samurai Jack or like who've, I don't know, who've read Tales of Otori. It's like a very obscure fantasy series. It's like out of the entire series, this was the one I was so intrigued to pick up. This is like the fourth book in the series. And it basically is set in this, so that the setting itself, it starts with this curse on this village who like finding out the details is the fun part about fun. I use the word fun with a little trepidation. The charm of the book is actually reading the details for yourself, but basically it's about this village that has been cursed by one person who, for some reason that you find when you read the book, goes on the killing spree. But now what has happened is that there seems like the curse has returned, the killer has returned, but the killer more so than a spree is being very methodical, is taking its his time, his or her time doing the killings and we follow and we are like inserted right into the narrative because our detective detective uh, Kosuke is telling us a story so he's like writing down the story and he's saying you know this story almost took everything out of me and it is so intriguing and I am only like 10% in but I am enjoying it immensely immensely and it's just it's a scratching that historical fiction itch it's like it's it's also dark it is dark it's 100 dark and it's it's just doing so many things at once and i'm absolutely loving it but yeah excited to see how it wraps up it's the village of eight graves and this is the fourth book in the series i haven't read the first three but i just took a shot and i said let's do it and i do not feel in any way disoriented so there you go <laughs> what about you what have you been reading um, well, I'm going to talk about what I just finished reading last night later in the episode, but I have a ton of library books that keep stacking up because oh, I kept I placing holds on items as same. they came, same. as I was ordering them. <laughs> and, and the same thing, like an order came in and I didn't have holds on a bunch of titles, but they were ones that I had been, that I did want to read. And so I just kind of yoinked them up. And so I've got a stack of books that I know I am never going to be able to get through, Ugh. but I've got some really good ones in there so i'm not sure yet yes but relatable problem yes <laughs> one of the one of the books that we're gonna, i'm going to be talking about later in the episode was in that giant stack of books there you go there's hope yeah so i so yeah i've been trying to flex the reading muscle a little a little mm -hmm. bit more uh lately but yeah right right now it's still kind of still kind of a question mark as to what i'm reading outside <laughs> of the stuff that i picked for the podcast so well yeah 
here's hoping. Here's hoping you find something wonderful reading that pile, which keeps <laughs> you reading through the night. And you know. Very much so. <laughs> All right. With that, do you want to go ahead and give us our first sponsor and then we can jump into this episode? Absolutely. This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored in part by Gallery Books and Wish You Were Gone by Kieran Scott. Emma Walsh's Looks Great on the Outside Marriage is at a breaking point, and she's finally worked up the courage to confront her husband James about his drinking. But before she has the chance, he's discovered dead in a fatal car crash. In the aftermath, Emma and her children imagine life without his volatile presence, complicated by his legacy in the community as an upstanding business and family man. But as the mysterious details of his life and his last day on earth emerge, it becomes apparent that James' legacy only exists because people were willing for so long to keep his secrets. We thank Gallery Books and Wish You Were Gone by Kieran Scott very much for sponsoring the show. All right. So if you are a new listener, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. We're delighted to have all of you here. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we talk about mysteries and suspense and thrillers and true crime and just about anything that falls under that very, very large umbrella. If you've listened to the show in the past, you know that this is the point where we put out a call to our listeners for suggestions for upcoming episodes. They really help us plan so many of the episodes that we've already done. It really lets us know what you, the listeners, would like to hear more of. It's a great way for us to expand our own reading horizons. So whether you're looking for reading suggestions from a subgenre that you haven't explored a ton or read-alikes for a favorite crime TV show, or you're interested in hearing more about some true crime thing that's been going on in the news, or whatever the case may be. If it's mysterious and suspenseful, it's fair game, and we will probably end up talking about it. So if you have any ideas or recommendations, you can shoot us an email or reach out via social media. We will have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes, so you don't have to worry about getting it down now. We just always put out the call ahead of time, get those creative juices flowing. Even if you don't have an idea and you just want to say hi, we love hearing from our listeners. And if you enjoy this podcast, definitely leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us. With that, let's go ahead and jump into our news segment pretty heavy on the adaptation news for, for this episode. But first up, we have the the book Children of Chicago by Cynthia Palaio, which I'm pretty sure I have talked about on this show probably last year. It's a thriller horror crossover in that it involves murders, but there's definitely a creepy supernatural presence going on. And this takes place in Chicago and black and brown teenagers are being killed, but no one really seems to know what's going on. And there's kind of a general apathy towards the kids who are being killed. So this very, very creepy book is going to be adapted for film. So I, when I read this, that was the first thing that stuck out in, in my head. Like this would be a really, really great story to, to do an adaptation for. It was described... When when it first came out, it's, it's like a cross between Slender Man and Candyman. And I'm like, yes, 
I am 100% down for this. And that is very, very accurate. It's got a lot of culture in the book. And if you are familiar with Chicago, there's a lot of a lot of the, those different places in the book. It just has a very Chicago feel to it. It's set in Humboldt Park. After I finished reading the book, I got to walk around the actual Humboldt Park with a friend who lives near there. And I was looking, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, you know, that's the lake where, you know, stuff happens. And so it was really cool to be able to see the the places where the stuff in the book actually takes place. So if you have read this book, you can definitely put this adaptation on your radar. If you haven't read the book, but it sounds like your jam, definitely pick it up. And there's no there's no release date yet. We don't have a cast or anything like that. It's just the adaptation news that's been announced. But as we get more updates, we will be sure to keep everyone updated. Would you say that Children of Chicago has a lot of trigger warnings? Like more than usual? Or is it just like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, is it like a slasher slasher novel? Um, you know, I was... (laughs) I would say there's there's some gore in there. Okay. Like like any horror novel, like, you know, it comes with the territory. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say proceed at your own risk, I would say. Gotcha. I don't remember okay. anything specific that that really really stood out like, mm-hmm. hey, be aware of this. Just, you know, it's it's pretty heavy on the creepy. So Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. so if you keep that in mind, you'll you'll probably have an okay reading experience. Okay, cuz I am intrigued, but also like some triggers in horror novels get to me. Like I, that's why I, I watch horror movies with a little hesitancy as well. So that's why that's why I asked in case. Oh, you're, you fair know. enough. Fair enough. But in, I think I might try at least a chapter and see how I feel about it because I'm so intrigued. And yeah. Anyways, sorry about sorry about that random tangent. <laughs> Another adaptation news. So Hillary Clinton and Louise Penny's. A novel, State of Terror, is coming to television as a movie adaptation, not as a series. Sorry, that was misleading. But basically, Hillary Clinton and Louise Penny are going to serve as the executive producers and consultants of the uh, book itself called State of Terror. And they're going to be collaborating with the Hell or High Water producer, Gigi Pritzker, her independent company, Madison Wells. And there is no date, there's no release date, there is no cast information yet. But it, it th- this is pretty much all we know, but it is super exciting. This book itself is based or very heavily influenced by Hillary, uh, Hillary Clinton's time and, you know, the time she served in uh, foreign policy. And it follows that tension very closely. It follows the Secretary of State Ellen Adams, who joins the presidential administration of a political adversary. And she soon faces a crisis after a series of crises, which basically threatened to disrupt the global order and so she has to basically assemble a force to confront the conflict and uh, it doesn't it's never as easy or straightforward as it seems and if political intrigue foreign policy is your jam that 100% pick this novel up before you know before it, it comes to the movie and then watch the adaptation we will definitely keep you posted because this I feel like this is one of those that I'm very interested to see how it shapes up to be, like who ends up starring in it. And then also it's just it's just been a successfully received novel. So stay tuned. And that is a State of Terror by Hillary Clinton and Louise Benny. 
All right. And then finally, continuing my theme of horror thriller crossover novel adaptations that are set in Chicago. (laughs) The first trailer for The Shining Girls is here. Yeah, I'm so excited. So if you have not heard me gush about this book enough already, The Shining Girls is a novel by Lauren Bukas, which takes place in Chicago, and it features a time-traveling serial killer that goes, that travels back and forth through time and kills these women who have been identified for him by a mysterious force. And they be and they kind of become known as the Shining Girls. And he tries to kill one of these women, whose name is Kirby, played by Elizabeth Moss. Unfortunately for him, she survives. But she also ends up her her reality ends up kind of fractured, but she starts putting the pieces together that something really, really weird is going on. And so she starts trying to figure out how she can go after this killer. So this is going to be a series on Apple TV, and the first episode airs at the end of April. So it's coming up very soon, and I am so, 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 so excited for this one. I cannot even begin to tell you. Maybe I this will be an impetus for me to reread The Shining Girls, because it's been... God, I think I I think I read it the first time when it came out, which if the dates online are correct was almost 10 years ago, which just does not seem possible, but I think it came out like in 2013. Anyway, while I have my existential crisis, you definitely <laughs> want to check out the trailer. It looks trippy, it looks creepy, it has Elizabeth Moss, and I am super duper excited. Oh, I feel like those are things you cannot go wrong with. Elizabeth Moss, Trippy. What else? Like, we're there. Trippy, Chicago, time-traveling serial killers. Like, this was just we're written there. for me. <laughs> we're there. Awesome. All right. And with that, I think it's time to jump into our discussion. I agree. <laughs> so for this episode, we are focusing on mysteries by Black authors in honor of Black History Month. And this is an episode I was super, super duper excited to you know talk about because there were so many authors that I had. So I challenge I did for this one. It was a fun one. I did. I said, I can only choose the authors that are on my shelves already as physical books. And this gave me a chance to also like, you know, scan my shelves, like do a bit of an assessment of how many of my buying patterns of like genres of authors of how I aware I am of diversity. So that was a fun exercise. I mean, it was it wasn't so bad. I didn't come out too bad. But of course, there's always room for more improvement. But I did find two that I super duper enjoyed when I'm still in the middle of. But yeah, so I'm excited about this one. How about you, Katie? How was your experience embarking on this and start us like start us away with your first pick? <laughs> yeah, so I actually had a very similar strategy that 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 you had. So I kind of looked at the books that I had already either checked out from the library or that I already had on my shelf. And yeah, I realized that there I've had a backlog of books by black authors from the, especially from the last couple of years that I just haven't been able to get around to. So this was yeah, this was a really good opportunity for me like you said to kind of comb my shelves, see what I had. And 
I am excited to that I was able to read a couple of books, one of which is very, very new, like just came out like a couple weeks ago. And in fact, was one of my most anticipated picks yes. for 22. And so the first book that I'm going to talk about is Cherish Farah by Bethany C. Morrow. And I am not going to give too much away because it's, I think it's best to go into this book not knowing too much about what's going on. Like, I knew what the general premise was, but like from the second half of the book onwards, I had no idea what was going to unfold. And I tore through this book. Like, I've read, I think, like, I read a quarter of it or so, like, in one sitting, like, a few days ago. And then last night, I just sat down and read the rest of it in one sitting. It is so good. It is such a fast, compelling read. And this is a, some people call it psychological suspense, some call it social horror. I think it really straddles that boundary really well. So the the book is narrated by Farah, who is 17 years old, and she is one of two black girls who live in her country club community. The other one is her best friend, Cherish. And at the beginning of the book, Farah goes to live with Cherish's family for kind of an un, undetermined period of time because Farah's family has just lost their house and they are looking to get established somewhere else. Her father got a job offer in another state, so they're trying to figure that out. And then to avoid uprooting Farrah's life even more, they say, hey, why, you know, she gets invited to live with Cherish and her parents. And it's also important to note that Cherish is, like I said, Cherish is Black, but she was adopted by two white parents. So that's kind of the premise where we where we start off the book. Now, Farrah, if you're looking for a likable character that you can really root for, Farah is not it. <laughs> she is like the definition of A, an unreliable narrator, but also B, kind of an unlikable narrator. She is so cunning and manipulative and she it is all about control with her. She has to control the narrative. She only sees what's in front of her, but she also sees like two or three steps ahead. She is always looking to manipulate people to get what she wants. Like, this is a character that if you really like the really complicated and sometimes just nasty female characters of like Gillian Flynn's novels, Farah would fit right in with that. And it's just, it's so intriguing because you're in Farrah's head the whole time. It's fascinating and slightly exhausting to see how she perceives the world and how she views her relationships with other people because it's, all of it is designed just to get her what she, what she wants or to punish someone for like the way her mind works is just so beyond what you would expect from a just a typical character in a book and it's the this i i believe this is the kind of book like i think you you will need to read it once for the plot and then you'll need to read it again to pick up on all the nuances and kind of to get a better grasp on Farah's character because there's so much going on and there are so many layers and the and basically the suspense comes in as Farah is living with Cherish's family 
weird stuff starts happening. And Farah thinks that she's got a handle on what's going on. But does she really? Mm, you'll have to read the book to find out. But I loved this book. It was, oh my gosh, yeah, it was It was so complex and nuanced, but also just like razor sharp. And it, oh my gosh, it was so, so good. And I'm so glad that I got an opportunity to read it, especially so soon after it came out. This is one I will 100% be recommending to people who come in looking for psychological suspense. It is awesome. So again, the book is called Cherish Farah, and that's by Bethany C. Morrow. I love it. And I also feel like I love this. I have a lot of thoughts. I love this. <laughs> This is a book, uh, I love that we're already tackling our most anticipated, you know, list, which is amazing. The second thing is like, I, I it, it's, it sort of sounds like it fits into that, you know, the whole, the other black girl and when no one is watching genre, not, oh, 100%, 100%. Yeah. So, and like the other one, when the reckoning comes, like a social commentary, but at the same time, it's also like, you really like the main character is also not 100% transparent, you know? So like the merging of those two things, I don't know, it's like, it gives me so much anxiety, but also so much like excitement that, you know, there it's there. And this is something that's being, because it sounds so complex when you lay down the plot, right? But like mm-hmm. to, ha- to see it executed, it's just, I don't know, it just makes you like stop for a second and like behold the awe of writing, the craft. Yeah, there's so much crap that goes oh, into this book. Oh, yeah, man. it is not just a straightforward thriller. There's there are so many layers, and there are also, I will say, it it, it overall, it I would not categorize it as a gory book, mm-hmm. but there is one particular moment that I almost had to read like with my hands over my eyes. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> there there is a scene in there that makes me squirm. Oh, so be forewarned. Be forewarned. (laughs) Yeah, not throughout the whole book. It's used sparingly, but when she does use it, it packs a punch. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love this one so much. All right. Before I jump into my first pick, do you want to go ahead and give us our second sponsor? Yes, I would be delighted. Our second sponsor is Simon & Schuster and The End of Getting Lost by Robin Kerman. The year is 1996, a time before cell phones, status updates, and location tags, when you could still travel to a remote corner of the world and disappear if you chose to do so. This is where we meet Gina Reinhold and Duncan Lowy, a young artistic couple madly in love, traveling around Europe on a romantic adventure. It's a time both thrilling and dizzying for Gina, whose memories are hazy following a head injury, and the growing sense that the man at her side, her one companion on this strange continent, is keeping secrets from her. Just what is Duncan hiding, and how far will he go to keep their pasts at bay? As the pair hop borders across Europe, their former lives threatening to catch up with them while the truth grows more elusive, we witness how love can lead us astray, and what it means to lose oneself in love. Again, that is The End of Getting Lost by Robin Kerman, published by Simon & Schuster, and we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. All right, so my first pick is Wahala by Nikki May, which is a book that I did not mention on on one of my most anticipated, but it became one of my most anticipated reads, so much so that I was the first one on the library hold. Like, Like, you know how there's... 12 or 14 copies. Why am I explaining this to you? You are a librarian. <laughs> but, you know, like, 
how they're like on orders, like this many holds. I was like the third of 14 holds. It was an amazing feeling. That feeling of being the first one to borrow a book. I don't know. So a little bit about this book. So this book is from what I, I have read about, I can safely say about 70% of it. And it's like Big Little Lies meets, what's what's another novel I'm looking for? Big Little Lies meets like nothing you've ever read before. It's basically Big Little Lies, but it's a more millennial Big Little Lies. I hate I hate categorizing things that way, like millennial Gen Z, but it is. It, it sort of is because like, the problems the characters have in this book are sort of like, you know, you get them more. You can relate to them more if you are like a millennial or struggling with like having, keeping, keeping three jobs to make payments and all of that. Like it's, it's, if you read this book, you'll understand why I'm categorizing it that way. But it's, yeah, it's basically like big little lights, but it's like almost like redone. And also, also, it focuses on these four Anglo-Nigerian best friends, you know, who are some way or another connected with Nigeria, either through their one parent, both their parents, they lived there for a brief period of time. So, and it's set in London. And so it's basically, it also has that bit of like identity narrative woven in, which I feel like Big Little Liars did not have in that sense. So it's, 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 it's like a, it's like a melting pot of things going on. But basically what happens is there are three best friends. There is Boo, Ron, and Simi. So these are three best friends. They have, you know, they've become friends. They're through different circumstances and they are just living their life and all the baggage and drama that comes with living a life. And then comes Isabel. Isabel is Simi's friend from school and she basically comes and disrupts things, right? So uh, Ronke and Boo are not happy with her and Simi and Isabel, so, like Simi sort of wants to, she almost forms this like toxic relationship with Isabel, like a codependent relationship with Isabel. And until it gets to a point where they've had enough and that tensions escalate to this point where it's like, boom. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, he- and here's why. I, I love this note. Like, first of all, the cover is gorgeous. It is. And here is why. I have like I have so many feelings about this. But a few of them is that, one, it does such a fantastic job of capturing what adult friendships, especially adult female friendships, look like. Because, you know, like, when you have friends who are, like, at different stages of their life, one is married, one is engaged, one is uh, one has a boyfriend, like, maybe they're not in a... It's like a new relationship navigating that along with you know having a relationship with just your friend and like some friends have kids but you don't have kids so how does that work and like the exhaustion that is adult friendship is captured so well in this book because like after a long day you don't want to see your friends but also you like you don't want to be alone so like what do you do so that's captured fantastically and then when a like catalyst when an external circle when like when that idea you had of your friendship is threatened like the extent you'll go to to protect it Ugh, it was it was it's such a it was such a unique thing oh, actually i take it back it isn't like exactly like big little lies it's very vaguely like big little lies in the sense that it's like a multiple narrative story but like it's it's a contemporary mishmash of so many things and i love 
every second of it. Cannot wait to finish it. So um, that's Wahala by Nikki May. And the audiobook is fantastic for it. Ooh, yeah, I have been hearing so many good things about that book. So many good things. And yeah, I occasionally will see it pop up on the on the new shelf at my library. And I'm like, huh, I should probably pick that one up. So probably what's going to happen is the next time I see it on the shelf, I'm going to have to check it out and add it to my growing pile. So do it. <laughs> if Blaine gets mad at me for bringing home another book, I'm just going to have to say, hey, this is Nestor's fault. I take it. I take the blame. Anyone All right. Who... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I appreciate having having a book pusher on my side. <laughs> All right. So my second pick came out. Oh, I want to say it came out. In, it was at twenty one. Yeah, twenty twenty one. And this book is The Jigsaw Man by Nadine Matheson. It is a debut novel, and it is the first in a series, um, the Inspector Angelica Henley series. And it takes place in London, and Angelica Henley is a detective inspector. And she, the book starts off, like, right away with different people finding... There's there's just no there's no pleasant way to put this, but finding body parts along the edge of the Thames River, and they all find you know they find each one finds a couple couple body parts over the course of a morning, so that's a fun way to start off your work day, and Henley has been tasked with finding the killer. They don't know they're having a hard time figuring out who who the victims were. And I say victims because it becomes obvious that they are looking for a white male and a black female. And they also notice that on one of the arms that they find is a carving with a knife that it was basically was used as a calling card a couple of years previously with a killer, Peter Olivier, who was known as the Jigsaw Killer. He is now behind bars, but that insignia is showing up on these victims. And Henley was part of that task force that put the Jigsaw Killer behind bars. And so she's looking at this going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So that's about all I'm going to give, partially because I wasn't able to get terribly far into the book. It is very much a gritty police procedural type of novel. So if you're looking for something that kind of, it's got hints of the Dublin Murder Squad series in that there seems to be a strong emphasis on the relationships between the people on the task force and within the department. And, you know, they all have, you know, their previous relationships with each other and conflict and like that plays a big part of the story. But there are also a lot of really, really kind of gruesome procedural details. So this, this is one that I have, even though I haven't gotten terribly far in the book, I have a feeling that that theme is going to carry throughout. So this is another one that I would recommend, you know, proceed it, proceed at your own risk. But yeah, so the idea being that there is, even though the killer was behind behind bars, there is someone out there who is copying his murders, and then you know, stuff according according to the book blurb, stuff happens. Anyway, I am really enjoying the the writing style, the tone of the book, 
And what's really interesting is that the author is a criminal defense lawyer, and so she has a lot of legal experience as an attorney. And so she's able to kind of bring that knowledge of the criminal justice system into her writing. And I always find it so fascinating when authors are able to do that. I think it adds a really interesting flavor to the series and it adds a real sense of authenticity. Like these aren't just details that someone just kind of, you know, pulled out of thin air and thought, hey, this will make the book, you know, this will make the book sound better. It feels it feels more realistic. So I am very excited to continue reading this one. And again, that is The Jigsaw Man by Nadine Matheson. I think on one of the episodes where Liberty guest starred on the show, she also recommended this book. So there are two, you know, recommendations (laughs) that we have pushed so far for this one. So I I am intrigued. My next pick is, I think, I believe I've spoken about this one before. So I'm not, I'm going to stay clear of too many details. But I wanted to mention this one here, nevertheless, because the second book is coming out in the series this year. And this is Dead Dead Girls by Nikesa Afia. And this is the first book in the Harlem Renaissance mystery series. And if you are looking to be transported to 1920s Harlem and actually, you know, hear the stories of the people like, you know, who actually lived in Harlem instead of this appropriated idea of what Harlem was, then this series is for you. Also, it's fantastic. There's murder and there's uh, like murder being solved. And it tells the story of Louise Lloyd, who is a young black woman who is uh, who has a tragic past. She was kidnapped. But when she was basically escaped and now she's trying her best to live her life like as normal as it can be. So she works her days. She works her night at cafes, speakeasies. What happens is one day a girl turns up dead in front of her one of her ca- of one of the cafes she works at, and so she's Louise has been sort of like you know like drowning herself in work, but what she has refused to see is that several black girls are dropping dead in Harlem, and she cannot help but you know sort of of like she cannot avoid the signs anymore like of how this seems similar to how her kidnapping might have happened or she might have some information. And then she gets into an altercation with the police officer and the police officer gives her an ultimatum. Either she can, like he can tell that she has this information. So she, he gives her the ultimatum that either she can help solve the murder or she will get what's written in the law for have like, you know, for assaulting an officer so she clearly she has no choice since she has no choice and she finds herself basically stuck in this like cat and mouse game i love that phrase cat and mouse game because it's like you know who's running like if you've seen dom and jerry you're like is it a cat and mouse game or is it a mouse and cat game you know that whole spiral of thoughts <laughs> but basically <laughs> but basically she has to she takes the case but then also like you know the challenges of trying to bring about justice when a whole society has this perception of you is that how do you do that? So like, how do you do that? How like you have nothing at your disposal? You have no resources. So it's, it's very well researched historical mystery. And I always like to, you know, I, this is one of my favorite genres. Like I like, I love it when history is mixed into my mysteries. And it also like, it doesn't have as many, it's not as gruesome. It's not actually, it's not gruesome. It doesn't have 
there's not a lot of like it definitely trigger warnings for racism for like past uh, you know past kidnapping past abuse but it's mentioned more than described so i just wanted to throw that into the mix you know to level off job body parts and you know uh our, some of our other recommendations yeah <laughs> but uh yes so that's dead dead girls by nikesa afia and the second book i believe is called harlem sunset and it is coming out in june so plenty of time get your hands on the first book in the series and then wait for the second one yeah, I was glad to see that you picked this one. This was one, actually, I think the last time we had Liberty guest host a podcast, I, I talked about this book and she seconded it. She said it was really, really good. And yeah, I was glad that you mentioned it to have have something a little bit, I, well, I wouldn't necessarily call it a lighter book because it does deal with heavy definitely. topics. It definitely, it's definitely more on the... It doesn't show as much as some of these other books. Agreed. So, yeah, difficult topics, but it's not like immersing you in the gritty, gruesome details. So. So it is a a little bit easier. And I have found that, and I haven't read a ton of books set during like 1920s period, but that is such an interesting, engaging time period for me to read about. And this book, d- like in the middle of the murders, like where they, where they, she, the main character and her friends go to like the speakeasies and they go dancing and stuff like that. Like I loved those passages. It just sounded like so much fun going to the, these like literally underground clubs where, you know, prohibitions going on. And so alcohol's not allowed, but ever, but the booze is a flowing and yeah, really, really good book. I am like I am a sucker for the 1920s New York trope. Like you say that, you don't even need to tell me the synopsis. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> I will. I will read that book. So yes, go sign. All of us go sign this book. All right. So obviously, we, as usual, we have just barely begun to scrape the tip of the surface of the iceberg here when it comes to books by Black authors. And of course, every every year we do an episode for Black History Month, but we always mention that these are books to be read year-round, not just in February. So hopefully you will be able to take these recommendations and read them throughout the year. It is the gift that keeps on giving. And if you have any other crime titles written by Black authors that you really like, let us know because of course our our TBRs are not nearly long enough. But we're always, always interested to, to find to find more more books like these. And with that I'd say let's let's jump into our into our new releases. So I am talking, so I'm just going to go ahead and and jump right in. Both of our books come out on the 22nd, and my my new release pick for this episode is This Might Hurt by Stephanie Roble, and Stephanie Roble wrote the book Darling Rose Gold, which came out in 2020, I think, right around the pandemic, maybe? Anyway... (laughs) That book was super chilling, and I just tore through it. And this is her second book. With this one, she she takes on the topic of cults, which, of course, are 
the topic is everywhere with books and documentaries and just movies and all this other stuff. So Natalie Collins the main character, and she has not heard from her sister in more than six months. And the last time they spoke, her sister Kit was basically slogging from mundane work days to obligatory happy hours to crying in the shower about their dead mother. And she told Natalie that she just, she was sure that there was something more out there. And then she found Wisewood. So Wisewood is on a private island off the coast of Maine. So already red flags should be waving in your head right here. And Wisewood's guests commit to six-month stays. During this time, they have no contact with the rest of the world. No internet, no phones, absolutely no exceptions. But the rules are there for a reason, so that the guests can stay focused on achieving true fearlessness so they can become their maximized selves. And just to make sure this is emphasized, maximized selves is capitalized, so... Just, just to give you an idea of what we're working with here. Now, Natalie thinks that this is a bad idea, but Kit says that she has had enough of her sister's cynicism, she needs something different, and so she voluntarily disappears off the grid. Then six months later, Natalie receives a menacing email from a Wisewood account threatening to reveal the secret that she has been keeping from Kit. So in a panic, Natalie hurries to Maine to come clean to her sister and bring her home, but she is about to learn that Wisewood will not let either of them go without a fight. So yes, this book just sounds, again, just sounds like an absolute page turner, and I cannot wait to grab this off the new release shelf at my library and make my stack even larger. So again, this book is This Might Hurt by Stephanie Robel, and that comes out on February 22nd. All right. And the one that I'm super excited about is I'm excited about a lot of books, even the one that Katie mentioned. So let's not even go there. But the pick that I have is The Verifiers by Jane Beck. And like Katie said, it comes out on February 22nd. This book focuses on Claudia, who is, you know, who is used to disregarding her family's expectations of her. She does not want a standard career or a nice Chinese boy to spend her life with. And she's used to keeping secrets for th- from them, such as that she has been self-recruited by Veracity, a referrals-only dating detective agency. Yes, it is just as complicated as it sounds. She has been a lo- lifelong mystery reader and- who wrote her senior thesis on Jane Austen, and she believes she has landed her ideal job. But when a client vanishes, Claudia breaks protocol to investigate and covers a maelstrom of personal and corporate deceit. Part literary mystery and part family story. This sounds like just the perfect mix of honestly, honestly, Claudia could just be me. Like, you know, lifelong mystery reader and a Jane Austen fan. Like, what else? Like, you needed life. But it just sounds like the perfect sort of contemporary mystery. Another, it sounds like a mix of Dial A for Aunties and Finlay Donovan is killing it. But the jury still is still out. So I will definitely keep you all posted on when I pick this. I ha- I am on hold at the library. You'll all be very proud of me. I'm two of the eight copies and it's still on order. So stay tuned for that. Super excited for when it comes in. But yeah, that's The Verifiers by Jane Beck. And it comes out February 22nd. So by the time you're hearing this, it will already be out. All right. And then finally, we have an honorable mention as well. Run, Rose, Run 
is the book that James Patterson and Dolly Parton have co-written together. And that book comes out on March 7th. And I believe that Dolly Parton is doing the audiobook narration. Does this sound right? I feel like this is right. Yes, I believe so. Yes. Yeah, because Dolly Parton just does everything. And so this book has been you know, has been talked about since it was first announced that James Patterson and Dolly Parton were teaming up. So this one is also going to be huge. So again, Run Rose Run, James Patterson, Dolly Parton comes out March 7th. Super excited for that one. I have the, yeah, I have the, I, I, I was lucky enough to get the early audiobook version of this. So I am, ex- I, of course, I still haven't gotten to it. Story of my life. But with that, that is our show. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Thank you so much to our wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink, for always making us sound great. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. For more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. If you want to send us an email with feedback, show suggestions, you can reach us at redordebt at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me, Nasra, on Twitter at Javed Nasra. That's J-A-V-E-D-N-U-S-R-A-H. And you can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Library Lady. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.